We are in a battle, and I want to continue this series today on spiritual warfare and you. And I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 10, 4. You're going to read it with me because it's just one verse, and it's a great verse. And most of you know the verse. And I want you to read it with me. And I'm going to talk to you about your weapons today, the weapons of your warfare. So let's stand together for the reading of the word, and let's talk about the weapons that God has given to us. Are you ready? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Powerful stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray with all of my heart that you will open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand what you are saying to the church through this verse. You gave this. It's your word, Lord. It's your God-breathed word. Lord, help us to understand the battle we're in and help us to know how to fight it to win. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, will you just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you were born to win. I should say you were born again to win. Amen. <clears throat> Good to see you here in the second service. We had a great first service, and um, God is just moving and blessing, and we're so thankful for all of you. Now, um, I want you to notice in this verse, we're going to leave it up there just for a second. I want you to look at it and realize that Paul is telling us without a doubt we're in a warfare. We're in a battle. Now, we live in a world that is in a physical battle almost all the time. There's almost always wars going on somewhere in the world. Uh, but we're in a spiritual battle 24-7, 365 days a year. It never stops. And Paul tells us that we are in a warfare. <clears throat> he doesn't tell us what the weapons are, but he tells us what they do. I want you to notice what he says they do. They pull down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare, God has given us weapons. He has not left us alone to be beat up by the devil, but he has given us weapons to fight with, weapons in our warfare, and he says they pull down strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? Well, <clears throat> a stronghold, I like to say, is anything that holds you strong. A stronghold is what holds you strong. Now, let me just elaborate a little bit and tell you what the Bible says more about strongholds. The Bible says that a stronghold is an argument against God's truth. A stronghold is an argument against the truth of God. Now, if you minister to anybody in this, in this culture, if you try to witness about Jesus, you find that they have arguments against God. They will say to you, they will say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. That's a stronghold. It's an argument that, that exalts itself against the truth of God. Or they will say, I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Or I don't believe that I'm lost and going to hell. I don't believe that I need a savior. Or how about this one? We hear this a lot. I believe everybody's going to heaven. God's a God of love. He understands. He cuts all of us slack. These are strongholds. And the Bible says that they, they promote themselves, they exalt themselves against the truth of God. And... The Bible also talks about ungodly imaginations. 
an imagination that does not come from God. You can have fearful imaginations, lustful imaginations, hateful imaginations, but they are imaginations that, that exalt themselves <clears throat> against the knowledge of God and they, they come from Satan. The Bible says that our supernatural weapons cast down every proud and high thing. A stronghold is a proud and high thing that, that says, not God, no God, I won't submit to God, I won't follow God, I don't need God, or there is no God. Proud and high things that seek to stop us and others from knowing God. See, you can be free in a lot of areas in your life, but you can have one area where the truth is not prevailing. And that's a stronghold. That is where you're being held strong. And the only way to bring that stronghold down is the truth of God. Jesus said the truth will make you free. And so a stronghold is something that the enemy has erected in your mind where you can be free in a lot of areas, but there is that one thing, that one area, that one arena of your life where you're not free and where there is a battle and there is a stronghold, and the only way to bring it down is not willpower. It must be brought down by something greater than the devil, and only one thing is really greater than the devil and his power, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who absolutely defanged him on the cross. <clears throat> and those strongholds must be brought down by the truth of God. It says the, the, the weapons of our warfare bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul reminds us now, and I, and I talked about this last week, but let me just say it again, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood people. It's not against your boss, not against your spouse, not against your children or your children against your parents. Our battle is not with flesh and blood human beings, but with a host of demons that work to defile and destroy and harass and tempt and enslave mankind. That's where the battle is. Right now, there's a battle going on in this room in some of your minds. If I could just say, you walked in here and, and maybe you don't even know Jesus, and, and I'm very, very aware when I quote the word of God that that truth is the only thing that's going to go into your mind and your soul and bring the stronghold that erects itself against the knowledge of God down so that you can say, you know, I need Jesus. Every week we're having people saved. Every week people are coming to Jesus. They walk in here lost. And they have no idea that there is a spiritual battle going on and that while I'm preaching and while we're worshiping God, God is moving and his truth is talking to those strongholds and pulling them down so that you are free to come to him. Amen. Strongholds. Not only can we resist the devil's influence in our own lives, but the powerful thing is we can destroy his influence in the lives of others. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it right now. Those watching by video and those listening by radio, we get testimonies frequently from people who have been listening on radio. And they said, man, it grabbed me. We've even had people say, I pulled over to the side of the road and prayed with you. What happened? They're going down the highway in rush hour traffic, and the truth of God reaches through those speakers and grabs hold of the strongholds and pulls them down. But in order to be victorious in our warfare, we've got to know what our weapons are and how to use them. You can know what they are and not use them. A lot of people don't even seem to understand that to be a Christian is to be drafted into a spiritual war. 
Congratulations. If you're a believer, you have been drafted. You've got a draft card. And you are in a spiritual battle that is being waged for thousands, well, ever since Adam and Eve fell. And now the battle is continuing. The Bible tells us over and over and vividly describes that we're in a warfare. Paul wrote to his young son, Timothy, in the faith, and he said to Timothy, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might wage a good warfare. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're in a battle, in a spiritual war, and this is not going to be a church picnic. We are in a spiritual war. He wrote to him a second time, and he said, Son, I want you to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice what he's using. He says, good warfare, good soldier. And then he says, at the end of his own life, Paul sums up his life. And he sums it up this way. He said, let me tell you, let me give you an autobiographical sketch of me. Let me give you my life in one sentence. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Praise God. Notice, he said, I fought something, I finished something, and I kept something. Listen to the phrases that are military in nature. Good warfare, good soldier, good fight. Now, he wouldn't be using those terms if we were not in a battle. Good soldier, good warfare, good fight. Now, what is the good fight? We talk about a good, you know, there's a lot of kinds of fights. If you had a fight with your spouse, that's not a good fight. If you had a fight with your kids on the way to church, that's not a good fight. Let me tell you what a good fight is. A good fight is a spiritual battle about who will have the supremacy, Jesus or Satan. A good fight is a struggle for the souls of men. It's a fight to advance the kingdom of God on earth. It's a warfare, a conflict, a fight to the finish. And everybody who names the name of Jesus is engaged in that battle. Do you realize that you're in a spiritual battle today? Do you realize that every single day the devil is going to attack your mind and attack your home and attack your marriage? And I'm not trying to lift up the devil, but I'm trying to open our eyes to the fact that we are in a spiritual battle and God has given us spiritual weapons by which we can pull down every single stronghold and walk in victory in Jesus Christ. Now I want to share uh, three spiritual weapons with you that God has given to us for our spiritual warfare, and I want to tell you what they accomplish. I'm going to tell you about one weapon that silences the enemy. How many of you would like to shut the devil up? All right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one weapon that silences the enemy. I'm going to give you another weapon that repels the enemy. And I'm going to give you a last weapon that overcomes the enemy. And I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to do it. Go out of here and do what you hear. Now let's talk about the first one. The weapon of praise silences the enemy. Now let me, let me just say something about praise. Listen, coming to church is not just coming in, opening up a hymnal, not, nothing against hymnals, I love hymns, and singing three hymns and sitting down and listening to three points in a poem and going home. No, listen, when we sing, when we praise God, that is something that all hell fears. Hell fears praise. See, we look at 
praise as just singing a song about Jesus. But no, I want you to leave here today realizing that praise is a weapon. Say it with me today. Praise is a weapon. It's not just something I do to praise God. And I do love praising God. I love praising God. But I want you to understand that when you praise God, you remember that, that commercial raid? And, and you got the cockroaches on the floor. And somebody walks in and they turn on a light. And here comes a can of Raid, and the Raid is sprayed. And what do those cockroaches say? Raid! And they flee. And they run for cover. That's what praise does to hell. Come on, everybody. Give the Lord a hand. When you praise God, Somebody said, you got to put on your praise. Let me me just read something to you out of Psalms 8. Listen to this. You have taught the little children to praise you perfectly. This is David writing. You have taught the little children to praise you perfectly. May their example shame and do what, everybody? Silence your enemies. So catch this. God uses the praise of children to silence the enemy. And my Bible tells me I'm a child of God. So if I'm a child of God and I praise God, my praise silences the enemy. Did you know that when you praise God, you shut him up? When you praise God, you drive him out. When you praise God, you chase him away. When you praise God, hell hates it and heaven loves it. When you praise God, you have just picked up a weapon. A weapon. Praise shuts the enemy's mouth. I love shutting the enemy's mouth because he's always talking. And how do you know he's talking? He's lying. Praise shuts the enemy's mouth. It silences his accusations, his temptations, his insinuations, his condemnations. Because that's all that he's got to say. He's going to lie. He's going to accuse. He's going to condemn. And praise silences your enemy. Have you ever stopped to think how many of our problems would go away if we could only get Satan and his demons to shut up? 98% of our spiritual battle in life, the spiritual battles that we wage, that we fight each and every day, happen in the battlefield of our mind, in our thought life. It happens in your mind. The enemy operates by injecting suggestions into our minds. And the Bible calls these thoughts fiery arrows. You're driving down the highway. Let's just say you've had a lifelong battle with alcohol. And you're driving down the highway. And, and, and everything's fine. You had a great day. Uh, you know, everything's gone well. And suddenly, in, injected into your thought life is a thought. And you are right then driving by a liquor store. And the thought says this. Why don't you just pull off? And go in there and grab just one drink. You deserve a break today. Just one drink won't hurt you. Just one little drink. You won't drink any more than that. Just one drink. And you can grab that drink and then you can go on home. Because after all, you've had a long, stressful day. And, and God will understand. And here comes this thought. And you don't realize that that thought did not originate with you. But it's a fiery arrow shot into your mind. And, and, and at first, when the enemy shoots a thought into your mind, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be anything anything at all but it's it's a fiery it's a fiery arrow it is a thought it is an insinuation it is a suggestion and at first they seem plausible sensible rational 
Eve, God knows that you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. God knows that if you eat it, you're going to be just like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. So God's cheating you, Eve, but, you know, look at that fruit. It's no big deal if you just took a little bite out of that fruit. That's no big deal. It's not the big deal that God's made out of it. Eve, don't you understand that? Well, that's rational. That's sensible. That seems right to me. That seems logical. And so she reached out based on the suggestion and ate of it. And the price was way beyond any pleasure she enjoyed. And that's the way sin always is. You always pay a way higher price than anything you thought you were going to get out of it. And and the enemy's suggestion prevailed. Because listen, we lose our spiritual battles when we believe and accept those demonic suggestions. We need to start recognizing them. The enemy's suggestions and thoughts and imaginations sow discouragement, confusion, fear, doubt, and unbelief into our minds. You wake up feeling great and all of a sudden you're blue, you're down, you're beating yourself up, you're bringing up all your past sins, you're telling yourself what a terrible person you are, and you don't realize the enemy has pulled his bow back and has fired an arrow into your thought life to ruin your day and take your joy away and bring you into the mully grub so that you won't shine for Jesus or talk about him. But you know what? Listen to me now. When we recognize what is going on, one of the weapons of our warfare is praise. I want you to say with me, put on your praise. You don't have to feel like it to put on your praise. Matter of fact, the very fact that you've got to put it on means you don't feel like it. You don't feel like praising God when the enemy has got you down in blue, when you're thinking about all your problems and everything is going wrong and how so-and-so hurts you so bad and how this and that and the other has gone wrong in your life. You don't feel like praising God, but put on your praise. Make the choice to rejoice, realizing that you're about to pull out heaven's raid. It's a weapon. And you put on your praise. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I just can't think of anything to praise God for. Well, let me give you some things. You can praise God that once you were lost, but now you're found. You can praise God that he cared enough to pull you up out of a horrible pit. You can praise God that he took you out of the miry clay. You can praise God that he put a new song in your mouth. You can praise God that you were going to hell, now you're going to heaven. You can praise God that he loves you, he's loyal, he's faithful, he's true, he's good. You can praise God. Come on, put on your praise. You can praise God for his mercy. You can praise God for his love. You can praise God for his loving kindness. You can praise God for his long suffering that he hadn't already crushed you like a bug. You can praise God that he sent his only begotten son to die for you on the cross, that he loved you that much. I can think of a thousand reasons to praise him. So everybody say, put on your praise. In 2 Chronicles 20, when King Jehoshaphat was up against a huge army, the Bible says he was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Good thing to do when you're up against a huge army. It says he was afraid. This was an innumerable multitude coming against him. He was vastly outnumbered. It looked like he was toast. But it says he was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. But God said to him, well, I love it, but God. That's a great phrase, but God. 
He said, do not be afraid. Can we say that together, everybody? Do not be afraid. And let's just read the rest. And do not be dismayed at this great army. Now read the next part like you're the one preaching. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but it's God. See, if, when the enemy touches you, he touches him. When the enemy attacks you, he attacks him. The Lord takes it very personally when his children are attacked by the devil. So we need to understand any battle that we're in, it's also God's battle. It's his battle. And Jehoshaphat then decided to do something that did not make any sense in the natural. He took his best singers and he put them at the front of the battle. They didn't have swords. They didn't have arrows. They didn't have knives. They didn't have spears. They didn't have swords. Nothing. And he put the singers in the front. You know why? Because he said, I believe that praise is a greater weapon than any sword or any arrow or any knife or any spear. I'm going to put my singers out there. Now, if I'm one of those singers, hey, I'm praising God because I got an innumerable multitude facing me. If, one of, if I'm one of those singers, my hands are up in the air and I'm praising with all of my might. Because Josh Fat said to these people, he said, up there in the front, I'm going to put you in the front. I'm going to put you in the front. I'm not giving you any natural weapons. I'm going to put you in the front with the greatest spiritual weapon there is, and I want you to praise God. And the Bible says they began to sing, and they sang one phrase over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the Bible records that when they began to sing and praise the Lord set an ambush against their enemies. And they were defeated, but you know how they were defeated? They forgot all about the Israelites and they began to fight one another. They devoured one another. They turned on one another. They became so confused because of the power of praise that they began to battle one another and they destroyed one another and they were utterly silenced. Wouldn't you love to get the demons fighting against each other? See, praise is a weapon. It's a weapon. I want you to see it that way. It's a weapon. Some of you need to get in the middle of your living room and get your hands up in the air. Devil's been coming against your marriage, coming against your finances, coming against your children, coming against you. And you feel like you're under the gun and under a shadow. I'm telling you, stand in the middle of the living room and pull out the raid. Stand in the middle of the living room and put on your praise and get your hands up in the air. Say, some of you men, well, I just don't do that, Pastor Jeff. I just never got my hands in the air. Hey, listen, you get into a hot enough battle, you will get your hands up in the air. Get your hands in the air and begin to praise. Everybody say it again. Put on your praise and you will silence the voice of the enemy. Now, there's another weapon. The weapon of praise silences the enemy, but the weapon of the word repels the enemy. There's absolutely nothing in this world like the word of God. Now, if you go here much, you know that I'm a broken record with this, but let me just, let me just skip again and, and make the same statement I always make. There is no book like this in the entire world. This is the only book in the world that didn't come from the world. 
The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is breathed out by God, and there is nothing that repels the enemy like the word of God. In Ephesians 6, we're given the armor of God. There are six pieces of the armor of God. Five are defensive and one are offensive. One is offensive. The five defensive, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, gospel sandals, sword, the, the shield of faith. Those are the defensive. But the only offensive one that you attack with is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that is the weapon that the enemy fears. Can you imagine a modern-day soldier being, being put down in a battlefield in Afghanistan without a gun? And it's that foolhardy to think that we can live a victorious, fruitful Christian life without carrying around in a sheath at our side. Always, always the word of God. The Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now listen, if, if you want to carry a gun around today, you can do it. You're wise if you take classes and get an official license to carry so you don't blow your foot off. <laughs> Many of you here today, you've got a license to carry. Truth be known, some of you men, some of you women, you've already got a license to carry. But let me tell you something what God did. When you became a child of God, you immediately received a divine license to carry. You've got a divine license to carry. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you ought to be carrying it with you everywhere you go. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he overcame the devil exclusively by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how he beat him. By the sword of the spirit. He didn't debate with him. He didn't argue with him. He didn't fight with him. He didn't try to ignore him. He, he, didn't, he did not uh, put himself in some state of denial. I'm not under attack. I'm not under attack. But he said, no, I'm going to fight the devil with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Jesus was a master at using the sword of the spirit. Watch. Rather than arguing directly with Satan's suggestions, Jesus quoted the word of God to the suggestion. If you study the three temptations Satan threw at Jesus, they are absolutely alike, absolutely like what John described in 1 John 2.15 when he talked about the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Now notice, any temptation you ever experience is going to be in one of those three categories. Lust of eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. Now look at what happened to Jesus. When Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread, it was an appeal to the lust of the flesh. Jesus answered the suggestion by quoting the word of God. It is written. Can we say that together? It is written. He pulled out the sword. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil tried again. He took him and he showed him all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of, of time. That was an appeal to the lust of the eyes. Jesus answered the temptation by quoting the word again. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil tried again. 
And he took him to the top of the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, jump, for it's written, he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. They'll hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And that was an appeal to the pride of life, which causes us to act arrogantly and presumptuously. Jesus answered again. He, he addressed the suggestion with the word of God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He used the word to repel the enemy, and he ended the attack. And it says, Satan left him. Satan left him. Why did Satan leave him? Because he didn't come up against just a flesh and blood man. He came up against the sword of the spirit expertly used by Messiah. And Jesus said, as I have done, so should you do. How do you, how do you repel the devil? You quote the word to the suggestion. You quote the word to the suggestion. You don't argue with it. You don't debate with it. You don't fight with it. You don't try to deny it. You quote the word to the suggestion. And Satan will leave you. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word of God and victory over the devil have always gone hand in hand. The apostle John wrote, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Notice the parallel. Notice the juxtaposition. You are full of the word of God and you have overcome the wicked one. There's no other way for the Christian to fight. So get out the Bible, open it up every day and read it for yourself. If you don't do it, you're a soldier without a sword. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Mighty through God. So say with me, the weapon of praise silences the enemy. The word of God repels the enemy. Now I save the best for last. The blood of Jesus overcomes the enemy. Now listen to Revelations 12, 11. They overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb. Now let me talk to you about that blood a minute. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. That's his name. Diabolos means accuser. He who hurls accusations. The hurler of accusations. That's the devil. You're no good. You're a big mess. You don't walk with God. You're never going to make it. You're a failure. You're this. You're that. He beats you over the head with accusations. And when we sin, we give the devil opportunity to accuse us both directly in our minds, in that theater of our minds, and through other people. And Satan loves it when we mess up because he, he swoops in to condemn and discourage us particularly if we don't have a good grip on what the word of God is and the blood of the Lord, the blood of the lamb has done for us. If we don't have a good understanding of the blood, then he, he keeps on pummeling us with condemnation. But let me give you some good news today. I came with good news. You want some good news? I'm going to give you some good news. Here's the good news. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I'm going to read a familiar verse, and I want you to listen to it closely. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Does he stop there? Is that where it stops? To forgive us our sins? Does it stop there? 
No, it says, and to cleanse us, to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the good news. He not only forgives us the guilt of our sin, but he cleanses us from the stain of our sin. Now, let me draw a picture for you. Picture a little boy who has been forbidden by his parents to walk across the street into a field that is muddy. His mama says, now, Johnny, don't you go across the street into that field where it's muddy. I don't want you muddy. So Johnny decides to walk across the street where it's muddy. And he plays in it as little boys are wont to do. And he gets covered in mud from head to toe. And then he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I went where my parents told me not to go. And I did what they told me not to do. And not only am I guilty, I'm muddy. You ever feel that way? Not only am I guilty, I'm muddy. Because I disobeyed, I'm not only guilty, but I'm muddy. I'm covered in the residue of my sin. And so he he goes home and he says, Mom and Dad, I went where you told me not to go and did what you told me not to do. And what, what would it do for him if they only said, okay, we forgive you, and they stopped there? Well, that would be great to be forgiven. But he's still so muddy, so he can't go back into their presence and he can't go back into the house. Likewise, the blood of Jesus not only forgives us, but it cleanses us so that once we're forgiven, we don't walk around feeling muddy and looking muddy and feeling like everybody else is looking at our mud. Listen, the power of the blood, the full message of the blood is that just like little Johnny, they say, I forgive you. Now come here, I've got a hose and I'm going to wash you down and I'm going to wash all the mud away so you can come back into the house, Johnny. And that's what the blood of Jesus does for you and me. It not only forgives us the guilt of our sin, but it washes away the mud of our sin. So you don't have to walk around with tuckhead all the time. Well, I'm forgiven, but I'm feeling real bad about myself. Well, why? Well, because I needed, I did this and I did that. Well, is God forgiving you? Yeah, he's forgiving me. Then why are you walking around with tuckhead? You know what tuckhead is when you won't look at anybody in the eye because you feel bad about yourself. And so you just look at the floor. You ever talk to somebody that's always looking at the floor? Hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. I don't want to. I feel bad about myself. Here's what the blood does. The blood forgives you of the guilt, but then God pulls out a hose, and God washes us down, and he washes all the mud away so that we're not carrying the stain of our sin anymore. He's not only, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You overcome Satan's attacks when you receive. Not just forgiveness, but the cleansing of the blood. So you can walk out with your head held high because the blood of the lamb has washed the mud away. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see a muddy kid. He sees somebody wearing bright white clothes of the forgiveness that only the blood can bring. And when he looks at you, he says, righteous, cleansed forgiven. So stand with me today, would you? No wonder the song says there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty what? Stains. 
Some of you have accepted half of the power of the blood, but you need to accept the other half. I don't need to be ashamed anymore. I don't need to feel bad anymore. I don't need to look down on myself anymore because he washed the mud away. So say with me, say with me, praise silences the enemy. The word repels the enemy. And the blood overcomes the enemy. Weapons of our warfare. Can we lift our hands to the Lord today? Sweet Jesus, thank you that you have not left us to be beat up by the enemy. We have supernatural weaponry. I pray that you'll help us to put on our praise. I pray you'll help us, Lord, to fill our minds with that word. And I pray, Lord, you will help us to remember we're not only forgiven, we're cleansed. Cleansed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to sing Oh the Blood of Jesus just for a minute. I guess it's in C or D. Oh the Blood. Go ahead. Oh, look, give, me a, give me a D. What's that? Oh the Blood of Jesus. Oh, the stripes of Jesus. I do know that there might be one or two who don't know Jesus, maybe more. Do you know how much God loves you? He shed his blood through Jesus for you so that you could be forgiven and cleansed. Can you imagine that? Forgiven and cleansed. So with our heads bowed, I'm going to lead in a simple prayer. If you've got a question mark in your mind about your salvation, I prayed for you last night hard. I prayed that God would touch you, that he would call you, that he would woo you, and he would introduce himself to you. He's as close as a prayer. Let's pray it together. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead I could be saved. I repent of my sin. 
Forgive me, Jesus. And may your blood wash my sin away and wash the mud away. I receive you into my heart today in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me with your heads bowed, say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Would you just lift your hand today and let me see? God bless you and God bless you. And God bless you, several of you. It's a beautiful sight. And I want you to know, dear friend, I'm going to ask you to do this. As soon as I dismiss this service, I want you to come down and say, Jeff, I prayed with you. Why do you need to come down? Well, it's a walk of faith. It's a step of faith. And you need to tell somebody that you prayed it. And why not me? Because I want to give you something to take home with you. I want to pray for you one more time. So please come down and meet me. I'm going to wait for you down here. Don't let me stand down here jilted. I'm going to wait for you, okay? So, Because I saw several of you. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Amen? Amen. So some of you need today, before you even get home, put on that praise. Put on your praise in the middle of the car and let the devil have it. Amen? Amen. Now, Wednesday night, I'm going to be dealing again with another tough question. You say, what question? I'm not telling. Just know that it's a good one. And a lot of you are going to have had this question. And I'm going to share an answer out of the Word of God. We're going to have a great time. Tonight is life groups. All of the life leaders in this service, our second service, raise your hand if you're a life leader. All right? All over this place. And God bless our life leaders. We're so thankful for them. We're meeting in homes all over the Metroplex tonight. And if you're wondering where the closest life group is to you, go to the connection point right out there and give them your zip code. And they'll look it up and they'll say, the life group closest to you is this one. And you can go. Please go take advantage of it. They have great food. And they have great food. And some of them have homemade cooking. Great fellowship great message from the Word of God, and let's turn a large church into a family. Amen? Get to know one another. And let's pray over those life groups. Father, we give the life groups to you tonight, and we pray that you will be with them. Bring new people, new faces, and thank you for blessing them. And can we just lift up now together the people in Corpus and the coast that have been so badly hit. Father, we give to you all of those poor people who have lost their homes, lost their livelihood, lost anywhere to lay their head at night. We pray for the mercy of God. We pray that many of them will come to know Jesus somehow, some way during this time of trial. Send helpers to them, Lord. And Lord, have mercy and show your grace in this time of tragedy. In Jesus' name, amen.